0: Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader
1: and our world.
0: Life is often a swirling vortex of confusion, a storm of turbulent emotions. Violent winds buffet us this way and that. One moment we experience loss, fear, hate, shame, apathy, chaos, greed, only to suddenly be exposed to a glimmer of tenderness perhaps, hope, tranquility, generosity, courage, and self sacrifice. What do we do with this troubled state of being that blows us this way and that? Sometimes it feels like we're living in the very eye of a hurricane, where just one false step will sweep us up into the maelstrom. We're like boats drifting rudderless within the great storm of life. The whipping winds threaten to lacerate the sails of our mind and cut our hopes for tomorrow up into ribbons, leaving our hull smashed and our dreams scattered like flotsam on the waves. Think of the issues. Global warming and environmental destruction. Pandemics. War. Corporate greed. Digital addiction. And the polarisation of our thinking. All around us, the world is in crisis. All around us is a raging storm. All around us are gigantic waves. And yet somehow, we stubbornly cling to our little life rafts of hope. William Shakespeare saw this quality of stubborn absurdity in our human lives and immortalised it through the use of oxymorons and paradoxes whenever he tried to explain and explore the human condition. Shakespeare saw how in life there can be sweet sorrow loving hate. Foulness that is fair and fairness that is foul and heavy lightness, just to name a few of the human experiences in life. Shakespeare saw how these paradoxes, like the calm and quiet centre of a hurricane, are in fact a necessary part of our sanity and provide us with the ability perhaps to cope. So today in Lit Poetry, we are venturing into the very heart of one of these Shakespearean-like contradictions. May I present you with Wendell Berry's The Piece of Wild Things.
1: Wendell Berry's The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds, I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light for a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free.
0: Born in 1934, Wendell Berry is a poet, writer, environmental activist and farmer from the USA. Raised on a farm in Kentucky, Berry's relationship to the natural world and to small community life grew to become a leading hallmark of his character and his writing. Indeed, farming and agricultural pursuits have often featured heavily in his work, and this work is well noted for its concern over the natural world and the important responsibilities people have in regards to being good stewards of creation. As a poet and writer focused on nature, Berry has been sometimes seen as a romantic poet like William Wordsworth from the 18th century, but this is a simplistic view that fails to fully appreciate that Berry, in turning to nature, largely refuses to become overly sentimental or mythological when he writes like those older romantic poets. Berry's focus is more on the imperative that people need to learn to respectfully coexist with nature in a non exploitive way, particularly if humankind is to survive or indeed flourish on this planet. The piece of Wild Things was first published in 1968. This was the tumultuous period of the Cold War that culminated in the Cuban Missile Crisis two years earlier. The Vietnam War was also raging at this time and America was experiencing great social upheavals as citizens actively protested what they perceived to be great injustices in their midst. Berry's poem clearly reflects the poet's anxiety over the direction of the world at this time and expresses the understandable desire to find solace by stepping away from the despair of human-made catastrophes like war and environmental destruction. Welcome back. So I want to do something a little different in this podcast, and rather than focus on the themes and ideas of the poem, I want to do a more traditional line-by-line analysis of the poem, starting with lines 1 to 3. This 11-line poem starts with these first three lines. When despair for the world grows in me, And I wake in the night to the least sound, In fear of what my life and my children's life may be, The poem's beginning lines give voice to the speaker's anxious and frightened mood. In fact, the speaker appears so disturbed and unhinged that even the slightest sound keeps them from being able to enjoy a restful night's sleep. They're consumed and beset by worries about the state of the world for both them and for their children. The fear the speaker mentions is not specifically named, but is rather a kind of generalised worry about what is going to happen in the future. Given the poem's focus on ecology and nature, the despair that the speaker feels could relate to the future of the planet itself, or, considering the poem was written around the time of the Vietnam War and the Cold War, perhaps the speaker worries about humankind destroying itself and forfeiting forever its ability to become more harmonious. This unspecified fear expressed by the poem's speaker has a universal feel about it. Indeed, the unspecified fear increases the poem's power and reach as most people reading the poem will be able to relate to the experience of their mind running away with itself during the small hours of the night over something that deeply troubles them. It is important to note here that the poem begins with the important word, when. When the speaker feels these things, something happens. The speaker doesn't name the something that happens over these first three longish lines, and this creates a sense of mounting anxiety in the poem's opening. Added to this, these three lines are enjambed, flowing into one another without pauses at the end of each line, which imbues the opening with a sense of restlessness too. In other words, the speaker's thoughts seem as if they are running away with themselves across multiple lines. Of course, line three, which goes, In fear of what my life and my children's life may be, also uses subtle repetition for poetic effect. Here, the repetition of the words my, and the words life and lives, make the line jolt and jump, mimicking how an anxious mind jumps around from thought to thought. If the speaker's not worrying about their own life, they're worrying about their children's future, or that of the entire world, and these worries keep coming back during the night, bubbling up, from the subconscious mind and waking the speaker up. Moving on to lines four and five in the poem, we have the following... I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. If the poem's first three lines build tension, the fourth and fifth offer a salve of comfort. The response to the word, when, at the start of the poem, finally manifests itself. This manifestation is decisive in tone and full of purpose and direction. I go says the speaker. In other words, while the speaker's nightmare can't be ignored and they can't get to sleep, a pathway of action nevertheless does open up for them. What the speaker can is go outside, away from the urban sprawl they live in and into the loving arms of nature. In particular, the speaker goes to rest alongside the wood drake and the great heron. The deep consonant sounds of all those Ds and the soft alliterative w sounds in line four mark a shift from anxiety to serenity from chaos to peace listen to the line i go and lie down where the wood drake it's a beautiful line that really calms the poem down here in nature things seem to make sense the wood drake and the heron go about their business as they always do don't worry about the future and so being in their presence invites the speaker into another mode of being. One live calmly in the moment. Coming to lines 6 to 7 in the poem we have the following I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief Lines 6 to 8 are the heart of the poem There is a paradox at work here of course peace and wildness while not exactly opposed don't usually go together wildness is usually associated with savagery and chaos peace on the other hand is usually associated with the absence of such threats. But it's exactly this instinctual rawness within the natural world, this this chaos that makes the speaker see it as so liberating. Animals, plants, rivers, stars, none of these tax their lives with the fear of future grief. The word tax implies that there is a metaphorical cost to the forethought of grief that fear of the future takes its toll, another tax-related word, on people. Nature doesn't bother itself with anxieties about the future because it simply exists in the here and now. And the speaker values the break from the human world that nature provides and the simple mindfulness it encourages. After the full stop Sejura used after the word grief in line 8, the speaker says I come into the presence of still water. The stillness of the water here mirrors the soothing effect of the natural world on the speaker's state of mind. The word presence can be taken both literally and figuratively. The speaker is literally in the presence of a calm lake or pond and that water has a presence in the sense of radiating an aura of peace. The wording of the phrase, still water, perhaps alludes to Psalm 23 in the Bible, which goes, The Lord maketh me lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters, he restoreth my soul. Berry's work, of course, while not explicitly religious, is definitely undergirded by his practiced Christian faith. It is nature itself, however, here, rather than God, that restores the speaker's soul, placing this person's life in a wider context that makes earlier fears seem less heavy. The end stop at the end of the line, combined with the earlier full stop seizure, almost completely stops the flow of the poem. That is, the text becomes as still as it possibly can, conjuring the feeling of the peace of wild things that's actually written on the page. The final lines of the poem are as follows. And I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting for their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. At this point in the poem, the speaker can feel the stars, which suggests a deep sense of connection with the universe itself. Of course, the speaker also can't see the stars because it's daytime. They're hiding by the bright light of the sun, but the speaker knows that they're there. The speaker also describes the stars metaphorically as day blind. They can't see during the day, which in turn suggests that they watch over the earth during the night. The natural world here has a kind of benevolence. The stars wait with their light to offer it as a kind of gift during the night to those who need it. This emphasizes the way the stars, together with the rest of nature, offer comfort and solace to the speaker. Full stop seizure after the word light meanwhile again slows the poem down to create a calming effect on the page berry shows that though the piece of wild things provides rest to the weary the poem itself doesn't sentimentalize this effect the speaker can now rest in the grace of the world feeling free from the worry about the future but this is only for a time While nature can't completely heal or remove all of humanity's anxieties, it does play an important role in managing them. So it's time to wrap up this week's episode and say goodbye. I really hope you got something out of this week's poem. Personally, I take great comfort from this poem. I am often swamped and overcome by feelings of dread about the state of our world. Mary's words are like a soothing balm that offer the reader a wonderful shelter from the storm raging outside our very door, even if the protection is only temporary. On a lighter note, I just want to finish by reminding you that if you're looking for more resources on poetry check out our newly redesigned website at www.litpoetry.com and remember to subscribe to our channel your support helps us in the work we are doing and gives us heaps and heaps of encouragement we'll finish by listening one more time to the poem see you next time
1: Wendell Berry's The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light for a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast,
0: presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.